campers back in the day when every neighborhood had a shopping center. In the back of that shopping center was the video store. And in the back yeah. of that video store were the videos that stood the test of the time. These are the back rack videos. I'm Spike. I'm Chris. And this week we are continuing our Halloween campaign. We are looking at... Chris has this idea. You try to explain it to him because I think I understand what you're talking about, but what you want to discuss. Okay. So these are horror movies that people just don't talk about now. And they're not all movies. Some of them are TV shows and whatnot. But these are things that people nowadays don't even know actually exist. Or they may have heard about it, but has never really watched it. So basically, underappreciated horror. Yes. Okay. All right. Now I get it. So. Yes. So Chris has compiled a little list for us. We're going to work our way down it. Chris, why don't we yeah, pick us a spot to start with? All right. Start at the top right. of the list. Tell me what you get. Trick or Treats. This is a movie that came out that I would have to say really peaks Halloween and horror. It is basically about a school bus of kids that die and their spirits are back and they're just taking it out on people on Halloween that takes the spirit of Halloween and kind of like kicks it in the nuts. Uh, Halloween, these kids, they, they don't like it. So these kids come back and they, they say, hey, no, spirit of Halloween, don't do that. <laughs> that would be so. Yes. Considering the spirit of Halloween used to be a pagan ritual involving sex, drugs, and rock and roll, basically. Then. Yeah, well, these little kids, they don't like that. So they, they do their own little trick or treat. For them. <laughs> I've actually heard of the film, never watched it. And... it it's, it's one of those things where it's like somebody took a bunch of little horror stories or, uh, you know, wise tales or myths or something mm -hmm. and just gathered it up into one little thing. But, yeah, it's... A bunch of half-butted ideas into one big half-butted movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Pretty much. Basically. All right, guys. What's what do you got next on your list? Well, we're going to go old school with the Blob. That one is actually fun. It's you can actually. Well, it was available online at Pluto, on the Pluto app there for a little while. If we're talking about old school blob, the yes. old 1950s blob, man, this is something about 1950s monster movies that are just fun to begin with, like The Crawling Eye and whatever's mm -hmm. on Spenguli this week, whatever got inflicted upon the poor jerks of Mystery Science Theater. But there's just something, some of them, some of those monster movies kind of like transcend what they had, and the blob was one of them. I mean, it's it's a corny idea. It's, it is. it's an idiotic idea, and and visually, it's a it's a moronic idea. It's basically colored, thickened corn syrup that they drop in front of the camera, and it just covers covers the camera lens, so it looks like all the actors have been covered in the blob. But it works because they take they take it seriously and they treat it logically. Believe it or not, for a giant blob of corn syrup that's eating California. <laughs> they actually they actually go through it in a pretty interesting manner so yes. good stuff. so good stuff. It, good stuff and it's one of those that if it's not on Spain Gooley yet it will be very very soon rest assured so 
Our next movie yeah. is one of my favorites. Yeah. Stir of Echoes. Never heard of it. This movie stars Kevin Bacon. Mm. It's, Ooh, it's, it. it's, uh, it's about this family man. Uh, they, they go to a party and one of them's like, Hey, let's, I'm studying hypnotism. So let me try to hypnotize you. So they hypnotize, uh, Kevin Bacon, except the problem is the person forgot to close a certain door. So now Kevin Bacon is starting to hear things, starting to see things. And it's all in his house. And he and it turns out, well, I don't know if I should give it away, but it turns out there's a murder mystery and this dead ghost is trying to help uh, is trying to get him to solve her murder and all this stuff. And it is honestly really, really good. <laughs> I loved it. I, I was on the edge of my seat. I was like, what? I didn't see that coming at all. So, yeah, Star of Echoes is really good. Boy, you're not kidding about stuff that's been forgotten over the years. I, I actually forgot about it until you mentioned, even mentioning Kevin Bacon wasn't enough to remind me of it. But when you started <laughs> describing the plot, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that one. I still didn't actually see it, but I've heard of it. I love and it. And it, it is one of those things where I really can't talk about it too much because, like I said, I've never actually seen this one. But it, it sounds interesting. It'd be interesting enough to give a try if you get tired of all the all the great pumpkin reruns on television, I guess. That's true. That's true. Uh, now we're going to go into some TV series. Yay. Um, of course, if you have never heard of this, you are living under a rock. But Tales from the Crypt, the Crypt Keeper himself. The old HBO series, but... Everybody forgets that started life on HBO because yeah, HBO was course. the only one that could get away with EC level. <laughs> Tales from the Crypt was originally an EC horror book, that comic book that was done by EC Comics back in the 50s. And that's, those are the guys who did Mad Magazine. Before they did Mad Magazine, they did Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, uh, The Witch's Tale or something like that. But it was... They had a whole host of horror comic books, which is where the stories were taken from. Yes. And being on HBO, they could do it graphically, which is weird because it actually spun off a kid's cartoon, Tales from the Crypt. Yes. And it's just so weird. <laughs> we forgot all about that. We were talking oh about family-friendly stuff I forgot last all about week. that. Oh. But it... Tales from the Crypt Keeper, it had like a $5 animation budget. But it was everything that Tales from the Crypt was not, which means Tales from the Crypt was worth, was worth watching Tales from the Crypt Keeper. Um, yes, this is one of those things where it, like, it spawned off a couple of movies of its own. And even though, Night, yeah, even though some of the episodes were like creepy and stuff, I will have to say, and I think everybody would agree, it's only famous because of the Crypt Keeper himself. Like, oh, yeah. the way they made him, the guy who did the voice and stuff like that, I mean, it's kind of haunting, but at the same time, I can chill with this guy. Like, I can sit there on the couch and we can watch TV together. Like, you know, I probably would die, but... The Crypt Keeper was kind of like the spiritual successor to Max Hedrow. Yeah. You could, you could actually give him a... Let him stand on his own. Yeah, and 
And there are certain guys who can do that, like Rod Serling could do that. Yeah. Rod Serling, and of course, Rod Serling did a lot more than just Twilight Zone, but then and hosting it and producing it and writing it. But Rod Serling was somebody you could take out of the Twilight Zone, put him into other places, and you would have immediately had that connection. Crypt Keeper is the same way. Well, let's keep going because yeah. that's the next on the list is the Twilight Zone. Yeah, I do that every once in a while. Oh, the Twilight Zone has had such a huge impact on pop culture. It's almost unwatchable nowadays, <laughs> especially especially for kids who have seen the references over, over and, and over and over. And over. <clears throat> to actually see the original series, it's kind of like a it jars you a little bit. And I can yeah. see why, because you we talk about things like to like to serve man. Okay. Yeah. If you're a if if you're a Twilight Zone fan, you automatically know what I mean to serve man. But the the idea behind to serve man has been used in horror movies, it's been used in TV shows, it's been used over and over, and people recognize the reference, so when they see it they actually see the episode to serve man. They see the title and they, it's immediately spoiled for them. And that's one of the, that's one of the things that it's hard to watch the twilight zone when you're of a certain age, because you've you're spoiled on it. Yeah. We were talking about on geek and out. One thing we should talk about are shows. You should shows and movies. You should show to children. Okay. And not necessarily because it's, not necessarily because it's designed for kids, because you want them to re have that visceral reaction to it because they haven't been burnt out on the references yet. Yeah. Twilight Zone is one of those. I would sit a six-year-old down. Of course, I would sit down with the six-year-old and watch the Twilight Zone. They would find it really, really creepy and really need mom or dad there with them. Uh, we talked about uh, Psycho was... Uh, we had mentioned that in the Geek and Out episode. Psycho is one of those, it's not really designed for kids because the first scene has Janet Lee in her bra. So, but it's one of those things where you sit down with a, with a nine or 10 year old and you watch with them before they get ruined by all the millions of Psycho references and before they start hearing the strings, before they start seeing the, the, the shadows and the shower curtain. And all the other stuff. So, when you, as Chris goes through these, consider sitting down with the kids and whether this would be worth. Because some of them, yeah, you can you can show them the Twilight Zone. It's going to be all right. You're not going to be able to show them uh, some of these other films, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other limits, like the only reason why it was kind of scary was it was all about the writing. Like, it, they were perfect they had, storytelling, and that's all it was, was just, like, you're, like, hooked, and you're, like, what's going to happen next? It's, Whoa, you know? The Outer Limits had zero special effects budget. They, yeah. they really, really did. And they, they did such a good job of it, though. But they had such great writing. Yeah. And even the production wasn't that great. It was pretty static and standard for the time. I mean, it was early 60s. It was basically, it was static cameras. It's basically what it was. Yeah. But the storytelling, it I've mentioned this before. We both talked about it here and on Geeking Out, the importance of storytelling. Getting your audience interested, in, you gotta intrigue them, you gotta interest them, and then you gotta 
envelop them. You got to get them involved. And The Outer Limits is one of those shows that managed to do that. The nice thing about The Outer Limits, the original one, anyway, the the remake they did a few years ago, not so much, but the original one, people are not as aware of The Outer Limits as they are of The Twilight Zone. So people who are burnt out on Twilight Zone references can watch The Outer Limits and still get creeped out. Of course, half of it's going to be silly and you're going to laugh at it because, <laughs> I mean, it, it was creepy in, the, in 1963, but it's not going to do anything in 2023. Yeah. But but you are more likely to find those little gems and nuggets in, in the, the outer limits than you can't, that you, you're not burnt out on like you are in the Twilight Zone. Yes. Boy, we're just going Which, all over your list, aren't we? Yeah, well, <laughs> there's so much more to go. This brings to another one that I enjoyed when I was a kid because I really loved weird storytelling, but it, there was also something about the opening of the show that really got me hooked. But it was Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories. Nobody remembers this show. I know. Nobody I remembers know. this show, which is weird because it came out in 86. And people just made such a huge deal about it because Steven Spielberg used to be a household name. When, when you saw Steven Spielberg directing something, you were there because Steven Spielberg was such a great storyteller. He, that was about the time uh, Amazing Stories was where he became a producer instead of a director. And you started getting hit or miss. The one thing I really remember from Amazing Stories, let's see if you can... I, I fit the same one I know. You tell me what you think. Uh, there's one that I remember about, uh, I think it was a World War II or World War One airplane, and they can't land because the wheels are, are gone, and there's a cartoonist on board, and he just starts drawing, and somehow magical wheels just start showing, cartoon wheels would start showing, and, and it was just amazing. That was the that was the best one I've watched, and I was just like hooked. That was yeah. that was an interesting one. That 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 showed you the power of fantasy. Yeah, the one I'm thinking is the one that it was the only story that actually got spun off out of Amazing Stories was Family Dog. That was oh, the yeah, that was yeah. their first effort into animation, and it was. I'm not going to say <laughs> Family Dog was what got Spielberg in, involved in animation. But after after he did Family Dog, after that episode aired, all of a sudden he's got a, a deal with Warner Brothers Animation and he's doing Tiny Toon Adventures and he's doing Animaniacs and Freakazoid and Pinky and the Brain and all the rest and just an entire different section of the animation industry fired up. And that all spun out of amazing stories. So, yes. That and, and Roger Rabbit, because Spielberg oh, yeah. was involved with that one, too. But we got good stuff. But he, Some good he, stuff. He absolutely had to have his fingers all over that. Some good stuff. What else we got? All right. Back to it. Back to it. Hush, hush, sweet Charlotte. Oh, boy. You are going back up. Hush, hush, sweet Charlotte. <laughs> I was thought you were going to say whatever happened to Baby Jane, but... Which is another really creepy that. movie. If that's the one that Baby Jane had, uh, was it Betty Davis and Joan Crawford in it? 
and that one was creepy as heck, and it came out right about the same time. Go ahead and tell them about this one. Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte is about a woman that uh, basically goes crazy because she's seeing her dead husband, is it? Was mm -hmm. it her husband? Keep seeing ghosts of her dead husband who's haunting her, and nobody believes her, and it turns out... Spoilers. It's not real. It was actually, uh, what was she? Was it her sister or was it the guy's sister? I think the guy's sister. I'm not sure. The guy's, it's been a long time yeah. since I saw this film. I can't remember. She's being tricked on to get the insurance policy, I mm -hmm. think it was. And it is so wild, so creepy, because you actually think she's going crazy, and she thinks she's going crazy. But there's a scene in this movie that is still burned in my head. And it's not, it, it's not scary, but when I first watched it, I was like freaking out. But he's coming up the stairs to her, and then all of a sudden, the head just falls off and just starts bouncing down the steps. I was like, okay, I'm oh, oh, what? <laughs> I know, what? See, so, yeah. you, you get that reaction where it's like, uh, and then there's a reaction like, okay, I'm done. I, I can't do this oh, anymore. Yeah. And it's, that's the that's the one that the directors really want to go for. It's like, I check it out. <laughs> like, <laughs> and you just freaked everybody out. Like, I was not expecting that. So, yeah. So, yeah, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte was a, a fun one from the, that was the six, early 60s, it's, I think. Yeah. There were a whole bunch of psychological, not quite terror movies, but they were yeah. creepy as all get out. Yeah. And, they, they, and loads of fun. For it's kind of like an, an we were talking about uh, monster movies of the 50s. This was kind of like the spiritual descendant of it. It was, it, yeah. it was a way of, uh, of developing and evolving from that cheap little special effects driven thing to more of a psychological mainly thanks to hitchcock and his influence on the industry yes so yeah good stuff good, good stuff. stuff what you got people under the stairs i love this movie but nobody this, talks about this it. is one of those chris films you're gonna have to tell them about this one people under the stairs starts out in basically the hood um family that can't afford this and whatever this guy who's, uh, this boy, his sister's boyfriend, if that makes sense. It's like, hey, there's these rich people. We're going to break into their house, and I need your help. So the little boy's like, I don't want to. It's stupid. But somehow gets conned into it anyways. So they break into these people's house, and these people who live there are really, really insane. And I mean really insane. The guy ends up getting killed. The boy's stuck in the house. He can't get out and finds out that there is a basement full of people. There is somebody living inside the walls. And there is a girl chained up who is they're using as basically their slave. It is, I think, I'm trying to, it's a Wes Craven movie is what it was. And this movie was so good. Like, I loved it. I loved the dude that was living in the walls because he couldn't talk because they cut off his tongue. But he was like, he's the only one that escaped. But he's living inside the walls. And they've been trying to catch him ever since, but they can't catch him. Uh, the girl who's chained up tries to help the boy. And then the people that 
basically live under the stairs or look like zombies pretty much because they haven't seen the sun for I don't know how long. Who knows how long they've been trapped under there. But they, you know, it's, it is such a good movie. It is so wild and crazy. But at the end, you're just like, well, that was something. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Wes Craven was, now remember, Wes Craven was the guy who came up with Freddy Krueger, which was like a psychologist's dream character, so to speak. But uh, Wes Craven's always been into that kind of weird, weird, offbeat, psychological, that underpinning of psychology. He knew he knows just enough about human psychology that he can make an impact on you, so... That's that's one of those things where you've really got to be in a mood for it. It almost sounds like an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark, but it's it's, it's, from the it's a lot worse uh, than that. It's, yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's like a story that somebody just made up, but it's so good. I love that movie. I really did. All right. <clears throat> Next one is Let the Right One In. This movie is... <sighs> that movie is weird. <laughs> it is it is a remake of an older film of vampires mm -hmm. and familiars. And it is, I can't go into detail because I will totally give it away. But this movie is wild. This is really wild. But honestly, really well done. Told. <laughs> like, this is a whole different story when it comes to telling a story of a vampire. In, in a whole different way. And I'm just going to leave it there. It is such a good movie. It's an interesting treatment. There's there's all these little bits and, and pieces of trivia when it comes to vampires and how they exactly. how they act and how people interact with them. The one, everybody knows about the garlic. Everybody knows about the steak and the heart. Everybody knows about the sunlight. Not everybody knows you have to invite a, a vampire in. Yes. A vampire cannot just force his way into your into your house you have to invite him in and this movie makes a lot of makes a lot of uh salad off of that one so yes. this is really this is wild it's a really oh, good yes. check out really good check out cat people are we talking which one are we talking we're about? talking about the old black and white cat people 1940s black people okay i absolutely agree with this one i never saw the film until it I think I saw first saw the film about two years ago. I did not think they were capable of making a movie like that <laughs> in in the nineteen. And it's not noir. It's not a traditional horror movie like the Universal uh, monster movies are. I think it is a Universal film though, it's, isn't it? I believe okay. so. Yeah. And it's got a weird little story behind it. You can look into it. I think we've actually discussed Cat People somewhere. If we haven't, we need to sometime. Not right now. But it is a weird, weird little piece of 1940s filmmaking that will... It was supposed to be one of these throwaway, basically Z-level movies that they would force people to take if they wanted to show the ones with like Humphrey Bogart and stuff. And instead, this one director decided, you know what? This is my one chance to tell a story. I'm going to tell a story. And he winds up taking this idiotic concept and just blowing it out of the water. One of the best storytelling efforts out of the 40s. Absolutely. And 
I wouldn't put it up there with Casablanca, but it's I would put it up there with the Wolfman or the creature from the Black Lagoon mm. very, very yes. easily. Yeah. So, Good so I would go Good I would watch. go Frankenstein, Dracula, and then it's a fight between Gillman, Wolfman, and Cat Lady. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's basically what it is. Next one is are you ready for this one? Probably not. They live. Okay, the Roddy Piper one. <laughs> yeah. Any film with Roddy Piper, you've got to watch at least once. Just Pete, He's been gone for a while now. People have forgotten kind of who Roddy Piper was. I just heard Jim Cornette talking about Roddy Piper on one of his podcasts not too long ago. And there, the, the question that stood was, if Hulk Hogan hadn't been in the WWF, Vince McMahon is on the record saying he would have gone with Dusty Rhodes. Who would have fought Dusty Rhodes? Because with Hulk Hogan, you had Roddy Piper. And the two were perfect for each other because they were both bombastic in opposite ways. Thing is, Roddy Piper really carried that persona with him. The closest person I've seen ever seen to Roddy Piper has been MJF in recent years. He really is as close to... Roddy Piper, as I've seen, that kind of mental, mentally adipated, kind of mess with your head kind of personality. He brings that charisma into the characters he plays in his movies. There's the one you were talking about, which was They Live. They Live, which is where that's the one with the uh, the glasses yes. where you can he puts on these special pair of sunglasses and he can see the world as it really is. So in other words. He was Roddy Piper was in the Matrix decades before <laughs> anybody else was. Okay, oh, he, Roddy Piper was I the original Red oh. Pill. Okay, oh. like he wasn't the original Red Pill. Oh, Buck, Charles Buckley was uh, John F. Buckley was the original Red Pill, but he was the, the one of the big. He was the first cinematic Red Pill, and <laughs> that in hell comes to Frogtown. Those two, if you can get a double feature of those two, take it. Cause it's it's and just make sure you bring plenty of popcorn and beer along because you're gonna you're just gonna want to be wasted when you watch these films. If that is, they live is an excellent and it's an excellent way to kind of update some of the '50s paranoia films that they did, the really creepy ones. So <laughs> it's a classic. It is a it's a classic, but in a weird way to do it. So. Um, this on. one, yeah. this one, I've never actually watched, but I heard a lot about it. Mm. The Man Who Laughs, nineteen twenty-six. Conrad oh, Veidt. The uh, yeah. <laughs> so so allegedly, although DC will deny it if you say it, allegedly the inspiration for the Joker and for Bob Kane and way back in nineteen forty and. The reason why you haven't seen it is because it's not that easy to find. You really have to go out of your way to find this film. Well, then I you can't. This you can <laughs> No, 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 no. You can find the film. It's just you can't really buy a copy of it. You have to oh. hunt it down online. There, there might be a copy somewhere on YouTube if you really look for it. You got to look. And it, odds are, it's probably out of copyright by now, so it's probably into the public domain. I'm not saying it is. It should be. If it's in the public domain, you might be able to find it on Internet Archive or one of these other places. It's a, a piece of cinematic history. 
and it really is a landmark film. Not not to the level that, say, Metropolis was, just to keep up the reference, but Fritz Lang's Metropolis is what I'm talking about. Not not like that or The Phantom of the Opera, but The Man Who Laughs definitely had an impact on people. It was right there on the same level as Rob Brown's Freaks. He put it down here so you can see me talk. <laughs> but it was that kind of thing where people watched it and genuinely got scared watching watching this guy because he just embraced it and went totally insane with it, just right over the top and just drove people nuts. <sighs> Good times. Good times. What else you got? All right, I got three more. Um, I may have forgotten the bunch. There's so many out it's, there, to it's be honest. It's easy to do. I mean, the, the thing is, if you start doing like, uh, I'm not going to say well, if you start searching for these things and online through your favorite web browser, I'm not going to say which one, but you start doing web searches, you're going to start seeing all these related things. And you'll, yeah. odds are, if you do a if you do a search for they live, eventually it'll bring you to the clown who laughs. Yeah. Don't know how it does it, but it does. Just it. going down that rabbit hole. Down the rabbit hole. Yeah, that's all one right. of the fun parts about it. But. These three are pretty well known. But at the same time, they're also like more referenced in everything. But these are still movies that you should check out. The Shining. The Shining is probably one of Stephen King's better efforts mm. because it is extreme. It's all about possession and in innate psychosis and what turns into Isolation. kind of a time travel style. There's he Stephen King can really proof that Stephen King can actually write The Shining, The Green Mile, and The Shawshank Redemption. Mm. Yes. So those are three efforts for, that show Stephen King is more than just a schlock horror author. And also, he hated the movie. Oh yeah. Which is honestly a shame because The Shining is one of my favorite all time scary films that doesn't really scare me but it, it still makes me go it still gives me goosebumps it'll, it'll get your attention we'll see. and it's just like woo. and i think it's just mostly the acting and the and the music that really gets me because i'm just like oh, okay okay <laughs> you know so the shining yeah and get yourself ready because it's got some pretty intense scenes to it not yes. for the kids no no, no. Um, the next movie I already mentioned, Cujo. Cujo's another one you don't want the kids to see. No. Cujo. Not, not nearly as good as a lot of the other films on this list, in my opinion. But. Cujo is just one of those movies that I've always found so interesting because, one, it can really happen. <laughs> and second, it's just, it's one of those intense, it has one of the most intense scenes to me. That again, I've already mentioned this, but when they get stuck in the car and the heat's pretty much almost killing them because it's so hot out and the dog will not let them, like it's like literally just right outside the door. And you got, and not to mention, it doesn't help that you got this little kid who's screaming and you know, you can tell he's frightened and she's frightened and it's just, woo. Like that, that whole scene just gets me. It's like, I'm just like, 
You know, <laughs> for the three of you who don't understand the reference, Cujo is about a rabid St. Bernard dog. Yes. The, the one thing I really remember about Cujo was a, was actually a, a snapshot that was taken while they were filming. And it was, who was it? Shelley Duvall and uh, the director. I can't remember which. I, think it, I don't think it was Robert Zemeckis. Who was it? I can't remember who the director was, but it was the director, it was the Shelley Duvall, and it was the guy in the Cujo outfit all doing a, a lion kick right oh, there on yeah. a French Riviera. <laughs> That, for me, stands out far more than the Cujo movie. <laughs> I, I think I saw that once, and like most Stephen King movies, you don't need to see that again. Last movie. That was a ringing endorsement, by the way. Yeah. Last movie. Last <laughs> movie Last is a movie Hit that... Hit me with your best shot. What you got? Is a, is a movie that I kind of wish they kind of would redo, in yeah. a way. Uh-oh. The Birds. Oh, you can't redo The Birds. Okay, you can redo the birds, but you shouldn't redo the birds. The birds. The birds. Alfred Hitchcock's famous, one of his famous well-known movies. Alfred, yeah. I was going to say Alfred Hitchcock's masterpiece was Psycho. His landmark film was North by Northwest. The Birds is his other famous film. That made any sense. Vertigo was the one that and introduced all kinds of nice special effects and stuff, and it was all practical effects. The birds, the birds could not be made the way they did back then because seriously, there were stagehands throwing birds at panes of glass, <laughs> and at Tippy Henry, the poor girl. They were <laughs> they they were literally throwing birds at the actors in order to get the the idea of the menace and stuff involved. It is, I'll say this, and we'll talk about one more movie here before we close. Because, okay, this, the birds, there's a, a slight chance that it may instill a fear of birds into you. A movie that did the birds a lot better than the birds did was Arachnophobia. We were just talking about that before we started filming, too. Arachnophobia shows you that dread you have. Hitchcock was going for dread in the birds, okay? Arachnophobia is, okay, you, they're not in the sky. They're not, they don't have to sit there and, and look out for each other like, like birds do. Spiders could sit there and crawl all over each other. So now you got this huge mass. And that was the one that was the one that turned John Goodman from a sitcom guy into an actor. Okay. Arachnophobia was the one that made him. But Arachnophobia, again, another Stephen King film. <clears throat> it was all about this house overrun with spiders and just and I mean like almost oh. a, almost like built the house on an Indian burial mound style of amount of spiders. Just uh, creepy as all get out and if that film probably produced more arachnophobes <laughs> like this one and this one I'm not that I don't mind little spiders but the big creepy crawly yeah and jobs yeah <laughs> so to speak I listen arachnophobia <laughs> is one of those movies that I do believe I blame my fear of spiders off of this movie <laughs> but here's the thing I think this movie was so good Will I ever watch it again? No. no. <laughs> Go 
because it's no. that difficult to watch. Yes, it is very difficult to watch. But I remember thinking, wow, this is a really good movie. But I, I just seeing them, oh, no. Remember, remember what I was talking about? The, no, I'm done. And the walk away, that's yeah. where. Yeah. The, you, you, that <laughs> you paid for two hours of movie and you only watched 35 Ooh. minutes of it. That's when a filmmaker is like, got it. Yeah, <laughs> just oh, so just <laughs> just the perfect way to wrap a Halloween episode of Backrack video is with Chris completely creeped out because there goes one right there. <laughs> Till next time, don't fight. Oh my goodness, cowardly oh. Chris over here. Be kind. Rewind. See you next time. <laughs>